Amen. Thank you so much. Let us rejoice in the Lord and all that He has done for us. Thank you so much to the choir and to our musicians for blessing our hearts today. I want you to turn to a very significant portion of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And I want to talk this morning about being equipped for God's service. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3. And verse 14. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, Paul speaking to Timothy, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are for your precious word, that it comes from you, that it is true, that it is perfect, that it is reliable, it is infallible and inerrant, and it is authoritative and totally sufficient for our spiritual lives. And so, Lord, as we cover these verses today, we pray, Lord, that we would understand how important it is, that we would put it into practice. And Lord, may you work through your word today and do that which needs to be done in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Last week, we focused on 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 13. If you'll go to verse 10, Paul makes this statement. He says, but thou hast fully known. That is a key statement. Paul says, you have known what I teach. You have known how I live. You know the driving force of my life. You know the persecutions that I have endured for the sake of the gospel. We said last week that the phrase, you have fully known in verse 10 means to follow. There's sort of a double sense there. It means that you have come to know the truth in such a personal way that you have made it your own. You truly understand it. And so this is not speaking of the casual follower, but one who has internalized the truth. It has become real to you personally. In contrast, Paul is also talking about people who had forsaken the apostolic doctrine. 
They were imposters. They were deceivers, but they were also deceived themselves. And friends, the same is true today. Until Jesus returns, we will always have to deal with these two paths. And it's our choice which path we're going to travel. Are we going to travel the path of deception or the path of truth? Throughout 1st and 2nd Timothy, Paul has emphasized that the genuineness of a person's profession of faith, how to know that they are genuinely saved, is found in two things. First of all, sound doctrine. That's key. Healthy doctrine. The doctrine that God has revealed to us. The Bible, His Word. And then secondly, a godly life. People try to separate these things, but you can't do it. You see, when you take one away, you have just destroyed what is essential Christianity. You must have sound doctrine. You cannot just do it, go around doing good works and call yourself a Christian. But at the same time, you must have sound works, and then you must have a godly life. It must be real. It must be genuine in your thoughts and in your attitude. The apostle then challenges Timothy in verse 14, and this is where we come this morning, to faithfulness in doctrine and conviction. So not only had Timothy learned the truth from Paul and others, but he had become convinced of it. Notice verse 14. Continue, Paul says, in the things which you have learned. This is no time for innovation. The Word of God is a perfect eternal standard. It does not change, and we have no right to change it. You follow what the Bible says, but then you have learned it, and then notice also that you have been assured of. Timothy had come to be convinced, to be assured of these things. Not only had he learned the truth from Paul and from others, he had become convinced of it. And that is the great goal for all of us in this room. And I can't do that for you. And your parents can't do it for you. This is the work of God in the heart. You must accept Christ personally, first and foremost. You must acknowledge that you are a sinner and that Christ died for you, not just for your parents or your household, and not just as a member of a local church, not, not your church family, but Christ died for me. The truth has to be personal. And then I must be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. I must be convinced of these things. So let me ask you this. Have you developed core convictions? Core biblical convictions. Things that you would be willing to die for. You don't accept these things just because mom and dad accept them or, or grandpa and grandma. Although that's a great thing. It's good to have a godly heritage, but... 
In the end, Christianity is more than that. It has to be a personal relationship with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can only come to the Father through Him. You must be convinced of these things, every single person in this room. So have you developed core convictions about salvation? Have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Have you come to core convictions about the Bible? Or are you still wondering if it's the Word of God? I hope not. If you call yourself a Christian. How about God and who He is? Have you developed core convictions about Him and His Word? The truth that He has given? Or would you have to call yourself a casual Christian? One Christian historian describes casual Christianity in this way. He says it is faith and moderation. Sort of like a dash of salt on your food. Faith and moderation which allows one to feel religious without having to prioritize one's faith. I've often heard people say, well, you know, I don't want to get too serious about this religion thing. You mean go to church every Sunday? You mean to have to act like a Christian throughout the week? I'm not really willing to go that far. But see, that's what real Christianity is. You follow Christ as the Lord of your life. It is not casual. It's not a hobby. This is not just something that we do on a Sunday that you tack on to the end of your week. Friends, if that's you, you need to think hard about some things. You need to be serious about Christianity. You see, a, a key reason for Timothy's conviction, the reason he was assured, the reason he had convictions was the integrity of the people from whom he had learned it. That had a massive impact in his life. And in, if you'll go back to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5, 2 Timothy 1.5, and we've already talked about this, but Paul says, when I call to remembrance, and then what does he say? 2 Timothy 1.5, the unfeigned faith, a faith of sincerity and integrity. Timothy could say, my mom was real. My mom was genuine. She didn't just talk about this thing of Christianity but it was real in her life. It was real in his grandmother's life. His grandmother's name was Lois, his mother Eunice, and what a, what a great influence they had on this young man's life. Not just Paul, but his parents. Now, listen to me, parents. You'll not have forever to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And you'll have no greater opportunity than when they're young. Just a humorous little story for you. When my nephew was very, very young, just a little tiny fellow, his family was on a road trip. He was with his parents, my brother-in-law and, and his wife. And you parents know how this goes, one of these long road trips. And he pipes up from the back and says, Mommy, Daddy, I have to use the restroom. And they told him, they said, 
There's no rest stops nearby. There's no gas stations. You know, you come to a stretch of highway like this. It just goes on and on with no exits. Well, a second time, he pipes up again. He says, Mommy, Daddy, I have to use the restroom. And again, they say, well, son, I don't know what you want me to do. There's no rest stop nearby. There's no restaurants. There's no gas stations. So they rode on a little further, and finally they saw a rest stop, and they began to pull in. And they said, okay, son, now you can go and use the restroom. And he pipes up from the back, and he says, too late now. When I heard that, I said, there's got to be a sermon illustration there. Because, friends, one day it will be too late. There are certain things you can't put off. Now, if you have older children, you can still pray for that child, and you never stop loving them. You never stop taking every opportunity you can to influence them for the gospel. But that time when children are young is so important. It is invaluable. Don't leave them to themselves. Instill in them the fear of the Lord and His truths. Don't think that they're going to pick it up on their own. But you teach them the ways of the Lord. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So have you developed core convictions and then are you passing your beliefs on to your children? Timothy is a key example of this. And now he, as a pastor, was passing them on to his congregation. And that's what all of us are doing. We have a responsibility to do that. We're not just taking in, but we're also giving out to others. That's the way God designed it. We take what God has taught us and then we teach others. And you may not always teach by word, but you'll teach by your life. You'll teach by the way that you live. And you'll teach in those moments when no one else is around except for your child. And they'll see how you act at home. They'll see how you act in private when you're away from the church. Timothy had learned the Christian faith from people of integrity. People like the Apostle Paul. People like his mother and grandmother. But here's what I also want to stress today. As important as that is, Christianity is more than just following good examples. Because frankly, you can be an unsaved person and do that. You can be an unsaved, unregenerate person and still follow people's good example. What sets the Christian religion apart is that Jesus gave us new life. He is the example and He is the Redeemer. He is all that we need. That's why we can follow Jesus with a transformed life. So our, our faith is not built on the wisdom of men, and that's what makes it so unique. It's built on the infinite power and wisdom of God. And this is what enables us to be people of integrity. This is what transforms our lives. It is God's wisdom that keeps us from spiritual shipwreck. It is God's wisdom that keeps us off the path of false teachers. The ones that 
Paul spoke of in verse 13. You remember the ones who are deceiving and what? Being deceived. Now note what Paul says in verse 14. Again, with me. Look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known, and here's the key, the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The holy scriptures refer to what we know of as the Old Testament, what the Jews called the Tanakh. And Jesus, during the 40 days between His resurrection and ascension, taught how the Scriptures pointed to Him. This is in Luke 24 and verse 32. Christ gave a Bible study to the disciples. And He said, let me show you what the Bible, the Old Testament says. They didn't have the New Testament yet. It wasn't written. But He says, let me go back through the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, in our order. And let me show you how it pointed to me. My death, my burial, my resurrection. All of this was part of the plan of God. Now, salvation does not come automatically from reading the Scriptures. Sad to say, but there are a lot of people who will read the Bible, and yet they will never accept Christ as Savior. They will never receive the message of the Bible by faith. And there are people who will devote their lives to it. There are scholars who are out there. And yes, there are preachers who read God's Word and they talk about it and they study it and yet they have never accepted the message of salvation for themselves. Now that's the sad part. Now I hope that doesn't apply to any of you. Have you accepted the message of the Scriptures? But here's what Paul is saying. They are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. It is through the Bible that we learn the message of salvation, that we see the gospel. And then Paul makes one of the most significant statements in all of the Bible, concerning the Bible itself. And he says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Let me stop there. Because the word inspiration in our parlance has become very, very broad. We can go and see a symphony orchestra, well, some people, and they can say, wow, that was inspiring. Or you can read a work of of Shakespeare. Boy, how inspiring that was. But that's not the sense in which Paul is talking here. Let me give you this word. All Scripture is God-breathed. That is a definition, literal translation of the Greek word. It is God-breathed. In other words, it comes from God Himself. The scriptures have everything that God is. One commentator says this, though written by humans, for humans, using their styles, grammar, literary conventions, unique historical contexts, 
Even so, the Bible remains a distinct and unique writing because ultimately it comes from God. Yes, God used human authors, but they wrote down what He wanted to be written. That doesn't mean mindless dictation, but it means that in the end, God had written down the words that He wanted. That's what this verse is saying. It's saying here that every part of Scripture, or we could even say it this way, every word of Scripture comes from God. It is God-breathed. It is His Word. Now, if I were to tell you something today, if I were to give you my words, my opinion on a situation, it's only as good as I am. It could be true, it could be false, because I'm a finite human being. There's many, there are many things that I don't know. In fact, the longer I live and the, and the, long, and the more I read... And frankly, it's a little bit discouraging sometimes. I find out how ignorant I really am. It's like you'll, you'll never catch up to it, all the knowledge that is in the world. And you can take the smartest person on the face of the earth, but folks, he is like an ant compared to all the knowledge that is out there. But when God speaks, it's different. Because He is infinite, He is eternal, He knows all. That's why you don't treat the Bible like any other book. So yes, there's poetry, and yes, there's history. Yes, there are parables. But in the end, it is God's Word, and He speaks truly. So when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it goes through the six days of creation, that's God speaking. That's what He did. And you can interpret it however you want. But these are God's supernatural words. He created the world in six days. Now, if you want to doubt that, if you want to deny it, that's fine. And people have come up with, even Christians have tried to come up with ways to try to compromise with the world on this. But the text says what it says. And it's history, it's not poetry. It's not some kind of dream vision. But God always speaks truly. That's what this verse means. The Spirit of God is the ultimate author. So, the Word of God displays all the qualities that we would expect of God Himself. It is reliable, it is accurate, it is trustworthy, it is true, it is infallible, it is inerrant, it is authoritative. It comes from our Creator, it comes from the One who is Lord over all. That's why it's different than any other book. It is unique. It's in a class by itself. There was a a preacher long ago in New York City. This was in the early 1900s when street preaching was very, very popular. There's still people who do this on the the city squares in, in New York City, but at that time it was very, very popular. And in the early 1900s, this particular evangelist, he would put his hat on the sidewalk 
And as the people were passing by, he would point at his hat and he would say, It's alive! It's alive! And great crowds would gather around and they would say, What in the world is under his hat? And he picked it up and it was the Bible. And then he would start to preach. He got everybody's attention. The Bible is alive, my friends. It is alive. Let me repeat what I said earlier. Christianity is more than just following good moral examples. It is divine, supernatural revelation given by God Himself. And if you don't accept that, you will never truly understand the Bible. You just won't. Your questions will never be answered until you accept that. This is God's supernatural truth. Christ Himself quoted Scripture frequently. He quoted it as divine and authoritative. I want you to write down these references. We don't have time to turn to all of these. I'm going to give you these in rapid-fire succession. But write these down. Matthew 4.4. Matthew 4.4. Jesus said, it is written. And then He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how man lives. So it proclaims the life-giving power and authority of God. But on top of that, he quotes that from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. Here's another one, Matthew 24 and verse 35. Matthew 24 and verse 35. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Note also that the apostles were clear about the inspiration and the authority of Scripture. In 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, this is what Paul says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions. And here when he says the traditions, he's talking about the revelation that God had given to them, the apostles. He says, hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word, that is when I'm speaking to you as an apostle, or our epistle, because it's the word of God. Paul knew what he was writing. It was not just an occasional letter. This was the word of God that he was writing. So you have to say that Paul was lying or deluded or some other thing. And Jesus was deluded or lying. But you can't have it both ways. You either accept it or you don't. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 14. These are just a couple of passages where the tone of authority sort of smacks you right in the face. Nobody writes like this unless they're writing from God. 2 Thessalonians 3.14, Paul says, And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. That is the authority of God Himself. It was not based on who Paul was. But it was based on the fact that this is divine revelation. These apostles knew exactly what they were writing when they wrote the New Testament. The prophets of old knew exactly what they were writing 
when they wrote the Old Testament. They received it by divine, supernatural revelation from God. And folks, that changes everything when you accept that. It comes from God's authority. Regarding the God-breathed nature of the New Testament, notice what Peter says about Paul's letters. I want you to go with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. Now this is Peter writing about Paul's letters, his epistles. In 2 Peter 3 and verse 15, and he's talking about the long-suffering of the Lord and delaying judgment upon the earth, but he says an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. In other words, God is long-suffering because He wants all to be saved and to come to repentance. And then he says this, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his, what? Epistles. Speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. If you have a hard time sometimes getting through some of Paul's statements, well, Peter did too. It took a lot of study. And by the way, Peter wrote a lot of hard things himself. But they came from God. And then he says this, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, or they twist, as they do also. And then what, what are the next three words? The other scriptures. What he is doing is placing the epistles of Paul on the same level as Old Testament scripture. Friends, this is the inspiration of the New Testament. And in time, the church recognized those books that were divinely given by God. One final verse for you. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. I know I'm giving you a lot of references here. But 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 18. 1 Timothy 5 and verse 18. Paul is talking to Timothy here about remuneration for elders. And he says in 1 Timothy 5, 18, what are the first words? For the Scripture saith. Now what follows is what Scripture says. Divinely revealed Scripture. And then he makes two statements. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. In other words, give the laborer his due. That's the principle. This is from Deuteronomy 25 and verse 4. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. And every Jewish person would have accepted that. Yes, that is Scripture, if they were Orthodox, that is. But then the second quote, the laborer is worthy of his reward. Where is he drawing this from? He's drawing it from Luke chapter 10 and verse 7. The book of Luke had already been written. And this makes perfect sense because Luke, on many occasions, went with Paul on his missionary journeys. And at that time, the Holy Spirit was inspiring Luke to write his gospel. But what is the significance here? 
Paul takes a verse from the Old Testament and he takes a verse from the book of Luke, the New Testament, and he equates both of them as Scripture. What I want today is for you to have confidence that this Bible is the divinely inspired Word of God. And that's what you need to be prepared to tell others. This is why we trust in it. This is why we believe it. Because the Bible is God-breathed, therefore it is useful, it is profitable, it is sufficient for all the tasks needed to carry out the work of the gospel. When we come to this passage again, we didn't get to it today, but we'll talk about how the Word of God equips us in four different ways based on the fact that it is divinely inspired and revealed. This is what it helps us to do. In the dead of night, at the heart of the Colombian jungle, army radios crackled to life with the, with the message that the nation had been praying for. And those two words were, miracle, miracle. The military code revealed that four children missing in the jungle for 40 days had been found alive. These youngsters were all members of an indigenous Amazon tribe. They had been missing since their small plane had crashed into the Amazon on May 1st, 2023. The tragedy killed their mother and the two pilots. And just imagine this, these children, you had a 13-year-old, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and one, a baby one year old. Four children were stranded in the Amazon, stranded alone in an area teeming with snakes, jaguars, and mosquitoes. And of course, rescuers feared the worst, but the children survived. They built makeshift shelters from branches held together with hair ties. They knew which fruits and seeds to eat. They knew how to avoid poisonous vegetation. They survived because they had been taught these things. In fact, they had been taught very, very intimately because they had been with their grandmother for years and years. She would go with them through the jungle and she would point out which plants were edible and which were not. And other people in that family would teach them how to build shelters. This was their way of life. Now the question is for us spiritually, how do we survive in this present world? And we need to understand that we have been dropped into hostile territory, we and our children. And this becomes especially important when you realize the impact that this present evil world can have on your children. Not only do they have to contend with Satan himself and, and the world system, but also their own sin natures. How in this world do we survive? How do we lead our children to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? And even after they're saved, how can we grow in godliness in such an evil world?
And we have godly examples, and they can lead us. But ultimately, my friends, it is through the Scriptures. It is through the Bible. We need the Word of God in our lives. Is it a part of your life? It bears the message of salvation. It teaches us what is right, what is wrong, how to make it right, how to keep it right. So I want to ask you this, first of all, in this invitation. And I want to give you a chance to come forward. But have you become wise unto salvation? You say, what do you mean by that? Is there a time in your life when you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as personal Savior? And you know that for a fact. I've asked some people, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? They say, I hope so. But folks, you need more than that. This is far too serious. And it doesn't have to be that way. The Word of God gives you assurance and certainty based on what God Himself has said in His Word. I can say today that if I were to die, that I would be in the presence of the Lord, and it's not because of who I am. It has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a preacher or, or whatever else. And I don't have to be presumptuous in saying that because I am trusting alone in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am leaning solely upon Him for salvation. Can you say that today? Has there been a time in your life when you have come to Him for forgiveness of sins? Your parents can't do it for you. Your grandparents can't do it for you. It has to be a decision that you make yourself. Maybe you say, well, pastor, I've done that. Well, let me ask you a question. As a child of God, do you have a time in the Word each day? You are never too busy for the Bible. It is impossible. You have to make that the priority. And what I found in my own life, this is the first thing I do when I get up in the morning. I don't want any other distractions because that's what will happen. If you go throughout your day, and if you don't do it, the devil will put a thousand obstacles in your path and your flesh will give you a thousand excuses not to do it. But there is never a time when you are too mature for God's Word. There's no such thing. We are a needy people. You need it just like the food that fuels your body. And we need it because this is how we love God more. This is how we grow in our relationship with Him. This is how we develop those core convictions. Because every one of us know how this works. We go to work and people attack our faith. Or we, we watch a documentary on television where a scientist who has studied many, many years and a historian, they'll get up and they'll debunk the Bible. Or they'll try to anyway. And you'll say, boy, those are great arguments that they're using and, and they're a lot smarter than I am. How can you survive in a world like that? You do it by filling your mind and heart with this book because it's not like any other book. It is divine wisdom. And when all those historians and scientists are dead and gone, and their ashes have blown away into oblivion, this book will endure. It'll always be there. 
And how many people throughout history have attacked this book? They will not succeed. And by the way, they won't succeed in eradicating God's people either. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the words of Jesus Himself. This is where we get strength to live. Do you have, do you have that time each day where you can grow in God's Word? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. We thank You for Your precious Word that You have given us which is totally sufficient for us, which empowers and strengthens us. We thank you that it's divine revelation and divine wisdom to equip us for every area of life. 